This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto sports. Today, happy Friday. This is TSN 1050. Mike Hogan with you today. Coming up on the program a little bit later on, joining us in studio at 11:30 from the national women's hockey team gold medalist Natalie Spooner with the Toronto Furies as well. Uh, there's uh, there's some other stuff to talk about with uh, Natalie. She's going to drop by in mm, half an hour. Also coming up in the next 15 minutes or so, uh, Marshall Ferguson, uh, our pal from. TSN 1150 in Hamilton. He's the voice of the Ticats and uh, does some stuff for CFL.ca, so we'll look around the Canadian Football League. Argo's getting ready for the Red Blacks on Monday. It's Doug Flutie night, so to speak. They honor the 97 team, but they're also going to uh, uh, honor Doug Flutie as an all-time Argonaut. His uh, name will join those on the banners at the south end of the uh, field. Ian Hutchison will join us from Golf News Now. They are continuing with the Open Championship. Uh, the conditions were a lot worse today for most of the guys, although there were some pretty remarkable scores posted considering the conditions. So we will have Hunch on to, uh, to talk about that. And our pal, the friend of the Garfus, Mr. Dirk Hayhurst, will join us at 1230, and we will uh, get all around the Blue Jays. I don't, know about, I don't know about you folks. I'm getting a little bored about just waiting for stuff to happen. We still don't know what the Blue Jays are going to do. Everybody who is an insider, everybody who has some sort of contact with anybody involved with the Blue Jays or agents, etc., 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 has basically said the same thing. They are not going to blow it up. They are in all likelihood not going to trade any controllable contracts. They'll get rid of the guys if they can, the rental players... The Marco Estradas of the world, Smith, guys like that. That's about it. So now, I don't know if we're we're into that mode yet. They end up getting a split in Boston, which is never a bad thing. The problem is, where they are in the standings right now, a lot of splits aren't good enough. Now, that said, where you're sitting in the standings, you jump at the split in Boston and try to go beat teams that aren't as good as the Red Sox are. If you lose a series to Houston, okay, you lose a series to Houston. You lose a series to the Red Sox, fine. Better team than you are. Much better team than you are. But you get a split on the road. That's not a horrible thing. Now, we saw what the Red Sox thought about the Blue Jays when they pushed Chris Sale back and said, we'll take our chances with Doug Fister. And we expect that we talked to, to a couple of different folks yesterday about what to expect out of that game yesterday when you had Fister versus Liriano. Uh, I had set the, uh, the over-under in that game at runs off the two starting pitchers combined at 10.5. Just because I didn't, neither guy is any good. And there are enough big bats on both teams that you would think that they would be able to take advantage of poor pitching, which is what happened yesterday. I mean, it was 5-3 to three 
midway through the third inning. Six off Fister and three off Liriano. So I guess they did themselves proud. They didn't they didn't go over the ten and a half, but they hit nine between them. But that's the kind of game you expect out of those guys. There was just there was just not much there. And they showed exactly why they are who we thought they were. But again, that's the problem. If you're going to make the run, there's part of you saying, Oh yeah, if you can get anything for Estrada, get something get anything for Estrada. That that, that would be good. Problem is you've got to find a way to replace them. Your your rotation is bad and now you've got to start winning series. Splits aren't good enough. Even though, as underscored, a split in Boston is never a bad thing. Especially when the Red Sox are better than you are. Uh, so that uh, that is one thing that uh, we'll be dealing with today. Uh, again, Dirk Hayhurst, Ian Hutchinson, uh, Natalie Spooner, and Marshall Ferguson. That would be the lineup today. Uh, I know a lot of you were, uh, were listening to this uh, program uh, about, what, 22 hours ago? It was uh, it was it was traffic hell. Anybody on the 401 knows what it was like yesterday at one o'clock. It just was not good. It took me an hour to get to York, over an hour to get to York, from here in beautiful Agent Court, Ontario. It shouldn't be an hour. There were no accidents, but it was an hour. Um, so I was able to listen to the O.J. Simpson dog and pony show yesterday. Nice to know he has no history of violence. <laughs> Come on. He actually said that in court. Oh, yeah. I'm not a guy who gets in fights. This guy's such an idiot here. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. <sighs> so I got into a... Um, uh, there was a lively debate going on back in the producer's office. Joe Narsa is our producer today. Good morning, Mr. Narsa. How are you? I'm very good, Hoagie. How are you? Very good. Uh, my fantasy baseball uh, opponent this week, who is uh, doing a nice job on uh, on me this week, Mr. Keith Bauer, you know, who's on the other side of the glass today. How are you, sir? Can't complain, Hoagie. Just uh, hoping to wrap up a strong week against you. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having the best week of your season this week. I appreciate that. Um, Anytime. Did both of you get through the OJ, I'll, I'll put it that way, without kind of vomiting, get through the OJ Simpson thing yesterday? Well, I was here um, basically throughout the whole thing. Did you watch? Or I know you you can get distracted when you're at work, right? Sometimes yeah. it's difficult. Well, I don't work much. <laughs> no kidding. Thank you for finally admitting that. But at the same time, were you able to watch much of this? Yeah, yeah, actually, I was. It was it was interesting to see. There was it was awkward moments where you would turn around, you see them laughing at something. Like at one point, he said, "I don't think you guys want me to stay in Nevada," and they're like, "Yeah." A couple people laughed, and one of the girls like, "Yeah, no comment." Yeah. So it had its awkward moments to it, but again, it just seems very awestrucking when you watch anything that has to do with that man. Uh, and now the, the question is, what does he do going forward? I mean, he's been given another gift, right? He was given the gift of all time when he was found not guilty of murder. And all he had to do was golf every day for the rest of his life and hang with his family, and he never would have had to, to lose nine years of his life in prison. And I know most people are applauding the fact that he went to prison for nine years for, you know, being an accessory or whatever the hell he was in that robbery, reclamation of personal product, whatever the hell it was. Um, I don't think there are many people who shed a tear uh, that a monster like that was behind bars. Uh, But he was, you know, originally given the gift of being found not guilty, and he screwed it up badly. I'm really curious, as much as I loathe the man, 
I am really curious to see how he screws it up this time because you know he will. His ego is big enough that he is going to think he's above the law again and he will do something to screw it up royally once more and I'm just trying to figure out how. Do you agree or do you think that OJ's actually now, that he's actually done another nine years after being in prison before his trial and during his trial, um, that he's lost so many years of his life that maybe it's, you know what, maybe I just better try and hide and blend in. I think ultimately OJ is going to be who he is, and that usually brings on a spotlight. But I feel like most of the world is just hoping he just rides off into the sunset, enjoys whatever is left of his life. and Can he do that? I would hope only because it seems very it's very tiring ultimately having to deal with this because it's it's such a frustrating feeling. You don't really know how to feel about the whole situation and and me and you were talking about this before. I didn't really live through this, but for somebody like you, it must be a little bit more tiring because you've kind of been through this already. Every you've day. seen exactly every day. Exactly. And imagine in no. if there was Twitter back then. Oh boy. The, the thing is, though, this was really the first reality TV show because it was every day and you got to know the characters that you didn't know before. Like, Marsha Clark wasn't just a prosecutor. People were talking about her hairstyle when she changed it. I mean, it just, you, you became not attached to, but very aware of everybody, every one of the dream team. You found out who. You know, uh, F. Lee Bailey was, if you didn't know who he was before. And Johnny Cochran developed this bigger-than-life personality and uh, outside of Los Angeles area where he was well-known already. Um, you know, Lance Ito, you know who the hell the judge was? Um, Jay Leno's show had the Dancing Itos, where they had a, a bunch of Judge Ito lookalikes in full costume and full robe uh, doing choreography. Like, it was, it was, it was bizarre. But yeah, it was tiring. Like it was it was incredibly fascinating if you got into it. Because if you were watching the trial on a on a even a semi-regular basis, you would just see how the trial was getting away from the prosecution and how it was no longer the prosecution of O.J. Simpson, it was the prosecution of the LAPD. And the defense attorneys did, the dream team, did an amazing job of flipping that, that, uh, that trial. And when you see, and, and once again, highly recommended, the O.J. Simpson Made in America um, spectacular documentary. You, you got to witness what it was like in Los Angeles at the time and why this case was so important to members of Los Angeles' African-American community who had felt that they were so you know, wrong done by, and they were in most cases, um, or in a lot of cases certainly, that they were just relieved to see something go the other way. The problem is that they used this slime ball as their public spokesperson. This is the guy that we're going to use as an example. This is O.J. Simpson. He just fought LAPD and won. And people are celebrating in the streets instead of saying, hey, this guy almost cut his wife's head off and murdered the guy that came to give her her glasses. Yeah, this is the guy we're going to celebrate. Like, I completely understand the frustration, even though I've never had to live through it.
I get that. But my God, did they pick the wrong guy to throw their love behind. And that's the problem. And there, were, there was an element of the population that loved O.J. Simpson so much because of the persona that he was before we started finding out about the real guy, the guy that beat his wife on a regular basis, uh, the guy that killed two people. The, the guy that we knew, certainly outside of the L.A. area, was this remarkable football player who had this diamond gold personality, the big smile, lovable O.J. We didn't know he was a slimy guy. We didn't know that. We didn't know he was a monster. So it was. it's such a dynamic story. And now the latest one has appeared, and what he said in that one letter that was read in court yesterday, that he might be back because he had taken this computer course. Oh, maybe I'll have a blog or a podcast. Oh, God, how stupid are you? Especially when any money that he makes is going to go to the Goldman family anyways. Like, it just... I hope he goes away. Actually, I hope he goes back to jail. There's a big part of me that hopes that. And I'm a firm believer in second chances. This guy's had second and third and fourth chances. He beat his wife on multiple occasions. He murdered two people. And then he was still stupid enough to go and break the law again. And created a huge aftershock, which we now know as Kim Kardashian. (laughs) Because now she's been famous because uh, of that. She wasn't... I don't think she was famous because of that. She was famous because of a sex tape. Well... The right. name is famous. The family name never would have been famous Ex- without OJ. Exactly. So I blame OJ for that too. Curse you. <laughs> would they have done that on their own though? No, because you wouldn't know who that was. It wouldn't it matter. matter. It, it wouldn't does- matter. Okay. Paris Hilton is the daughter sure. of Mr. Hilton, right? So yeah, Conrad Hilton. Exactly. Her granddaughter, I guess. Exactly. So I think because of you know the Kardashian name behind OJ Simpson. We now have a Kim Kardashian but, app. But to be honest, Robert Kardashian was a player. Everybody knew who he was, but he was far from being a major player at the time. But it's enough to care. Yeah, I guess. Right? And especially in L.A., and that's where they were. God. It's a story that we hope goes away. And we all hope he goes away. Okay. No more Tiger. I got a picture of Tiger up on the, on the screen. No more O.J. talk. I promise. Uh, Ian Hutchison talking golf. We have uh, Dirk Hayhurst talking baseball. Natalie Spooner, uh, Olympic uh, hockey player, obviously is going to drop by as well. Um, we'll get some CFL talk in as well as uh, Marshall Ferguson is going to join us here in a couple of seconds. Uh, Marsh works at our affiliate station, TSN 1150 in Hamilton. Uh, does play-by-play for the Hamilton Ticats on that uh, radio station and uh, writes for CFL.ca. And if you, uh, if you are a CFL fan and don't follow him on Twitter, it is your loss because uh, he's all over this. He breaks down every game and, and puts out some uh, very fascinating data as well. Uh, so it's a pleasure to have Marsh Ferguson on the program right now. What's up, sir? Am I your O.J. Simpson analyst? Is that why you brought me on? Would you like to be? <laughs> Man, it's, it is crazy because I'm somebody who is built, uh, was born, I should say, long before I ever you know, knew about O.J. Simpson's NFL career. Otherwise, man, I have dove into more of, of the documentaries and everything else on that guy than I, than I care to admit. And so when you talk about the O.J. Made in America series, that, I think I watched that three times, man, because it, it is unbelievable. And it's amazing that even after all of this has happened, that, you know, X amount of years later, nine years after he's gone to prison and, you know, 20 odd years after the whole trial and everything, 
he still hooks you. Yesterday, I talked to people all over the place here in Hamilton, and they said, yeah, I tuned in. I went, why are we all tuning in? We can't help ourselves. For those of us of my vintage, we invested so much time into the trial itself. I think that we wanted to see what the follow-up was, just because yeah. that was so much of a part of our life for a couple of years. That uh, uh, when he went away, I think we were all happy, and the fact that he came back, there was a morbid curiosity to see what would happen. And and when I, you know, I listened to Eric Macromella yesterday and read most of the analysts saying that there was, uh, in all likelihood, he was going to be paroled. And said that he should be paroled for the way that he conducted himself in prison. Um, it was just, oh, no, not again. Because you know he's going to do something stupid. You just know it. Yeah, my whole feeling on it is he, he keeps painting himself as the family man who wants to just get out and go home and sit on the porch and hang out with the family and, and sip some ice-cold water and do nothing. And I'm like, he can't help himself. He can't help himself. No, he's going to be out running around. He's going to be in the media sooner than we know. He's going to be doing the blog or the podcast that he denied his parole hearing. He's absolutely going to do something. And eventually, I think his kids are just going to go, why do we keep putting ourselves through this and detach themselves from him? And if his support system detaches itself, then what happens? If he has nobody to go to, what happens? I actually don't know the answer to that. Uh, agreed. Uh, let's get to, to the current era of football on this side of the border. And uh, you as the voice of the Hamilton Ticats, uh, I have to ask you this question. Will the Ticats win a game this year? Yes, the Ticats will win a game. Will it be before they play Winnipeg at home in Hamilton on August 12th? Not so sure uh, at this point because they are going on the road for the next two games. We're doing the Alberta swing, which is difficult for any yeah. team, even in the West, let alone, you know, teams in the East and their lack of success when they go out to the West. So uh, they're taking on the Calgary Stampeders, who, you know, Superman's cape came off a little bit here when you look at, uh, at what they were able to achieve in Montreal last Thursday, last Friday. And, and I think that you will see a good game out of the Tiger Cats on the road because it might be just refreshing for them to kind of get away from everything and get out there and, and try to find themselves a little bit as they go away. But having that back-to-back against Edmonton and then seeing the Eskimos, a team that they lost to in such devastating fashion, again, I just I, I find that they're in really, really tough. So we could be staring down the barrel right here of a, an 0-6 start to the season. Then you come home, still a bit of a mystery to me. I think we understand what type of team they are. But for the Ticats right now, yeah, they're looking at a tough start. Um, is it just secondary with them? Is it offensive line? Is Does Zach look like Zach to you uh, under center? Or w- what's the biggest problem right now? To me, I honestly think the biggest problem is Zach's fundamentals because I think that that affects everything else that is in the game. Uh, his feet are just off. He's mm-hmm. not moving the way that he used to. He's not, And it's not even, you know, I hate, Hoagie, when people go back to the knee injury because how many athletes do we know that have come back off of the ACL injury and been able to run. S.J. Green is doing crazy things there for the Argos, mm-hmm. and he's coming off a devastating knee injury. So I don't want to hear, oh, he's lost a step, because I don't think Zach has lost a step. What I do think when I watch him play right now is that there's just this lack of confidence in everything that's happening around him, and it's affecting him mentally, and it's also affecting him physically. Not in the, you know, not in the sense that, oh, he's slow. It's in the sense that his decisions when he's moving are not, oh, okay, I'm going to cut to the left, and I'm sticking my foot in the ground, and I'm gone. It's, uh, should I go over there? I don't know. I don't really trust over there. Why would I go over there? It's probably not going to work anyway. Like, that's just what I see right now when I watch him play the game. The secondary that you note, though, I don't think the, the level of talent that the Ticats have in the secondary is worrisome. I think that the injuries that they've had, obviously, with Emmanuel Davis and Abdul Kane yeah. are really, really challenging. Yeah. But I'm not going to blame injuries because I don't really give a damn about guys that are not here. I want to talk about the guys who are in the room because that's just kind of my rule with football injuries because we know how often they happen. Next man up and, has to it has to be available and applicable to every position on the field. Exactly. And so when I watched Keon Lynn play last night, 
I loved what he was doing, and I thought that he fit in really nicely. And I was surprised by that because he's in his first year in the CFL at Syracuse, and he moved from the Sam linebacker spot all the way to the boundary corner. Good yeah. luck seeing that happen yeah. in any other professional football league where your, your Sam linebacker moves to the boundary corner, which is strictly a cover position, so mm-hmm. dramatically different from Sam linebacker. But uh, he moved over there. He was playing really well. But here's the problem for the Ticats. He gets dinged last night with what we think is probably a pretty serious knee injury, yeah. speaking of those. Uh, and as he goes down, Coach Sal and I on the Ticats broadcast start looking down at our play charts, and we go, okay, what are the moving pieces here? And it's like, well, there's about three or four guys that are in their first year of the CFL. The other two are in their second year in the CFL. None of them have ever really declared a spot on any roster to be theirs, and they've never really been able to solidify any chunk of, uh, of territory. If it's like, you know, I'm, I'm a boundary corner. That's what I do. I'm that guy. That doesn't exist in the Tiger Cats secondary. So there's no identity when it comes to that rotation. What they ended up doing was moving who was their boundary halfback, Justin Rogers, over, or excuse me, the field halfback over to boundary corner. That bumped in Terrence Frederick, who's played in the CFL before with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, but it's in his second year in the CFL, and he's been with the Tiger Cats for a grand total of seven days. And all of a sudden, they said, uh, hey, I hope you learned Jeff Reinbold's defensive scheme because you're now our starting field halfback, which is one of the more difficult spots in the CFL. Oh, and by the way, Brandon Zilstra will be your matchup this evening. Best of luck. And he just kind of fell apart down the stretch. And right away, Mike Riley, veteran quarterback, started attacking the boundary corner and the field halfback. And as you know with Mike Riley, a leader of men in the fourth quarter, I would bet my life on him. He's just so smooth in his decision-making. And he looked really good last night, especially in the second half. Marshall Ferguson joining us from TSN 1150 in Hamilton, the voice of the Ticats, but also covers the CFL in general for CFL.ca and charts every game. So if you need to ask him about any team, he will be able to tell you all about their offense. So with that said, let me ask you about the Argos. What do you see offensively from the Argos that you like, and what do you think that they need to shore up a little bit the thing that i absolutely love about mark trestman coming in and it was a bit of an aberration when we saw it in week one against the hamilton tiger cats so obviously i was there in person to be able to appreciate it but uh by going back and charting these games and looking at about 20 different metrics per play when i see the way that ricky ray is attacking down the field mm-hmm. i love that because he there's not nothing- lo- he's no longer checked down uh, ricky ray Exactly, and I made the joke throughout the entire offseason, Hoagie, that it was going to be Ricky Ray three-yard flat throw to the left, Ricky Ray three-yard flat throw to the right, and it was going to go back and forth and back and forth. And I was like, hey, you know, Andre Dury's gone, but maybe you end up having guys like Anthony Coombs have a career season or you know, James Wilder Jr. comes in. Maybe he turns into a scat back. Brandon Whitaker probably has more catches than ever. I was wrong, and I'm happy that I was wrong because I think it's so awesome to see a guy – not really in the twilight of his career, but we understand how age is up against the clock for Ricky Ray, to see him take what he has learned and what he's always been effective at and to add a new tool to his game. The ability to be able to take the ball down the field confidently, and he's not just throwing jump balls. like He's accurate. He's throwing back shoulders to S.J. Green down the sideline. He's throwing nice little curl routes underneath it of your Posey when he was still healthy. I love being able to watch that Argos offense and the verticality that they're playing with right now. The thing that I'm not crazy about with them right now uh, is probably their, their underneath kind of crossing game. And it's, it's more so to do with protection because there are various times throughout games where you just kind of twist your head and you go, why can't they just stay on the field? And you realize once in a while that there's teams that, you know, the Ottawa Redblacks are a good example of it a couple of weeks ago. They kind of look at the, the Argos and they say, you are going to take a deep shot over the top to SJ Green or you're going to try to throw some little curl or in-breaking route at about 12 to 18 yards. Outside of that, the only plays that I think Ottawa really respected was a running back screen and the odd play action throw to the flat. So I think that Ottawa and Mark Nelson probably boiled down the Argos offense to about four or five different types of plays. 
Uh, of course, we know how the back end of that game went, but at the first part of that game, really the entire first half against the Red Blacks in Ottawa, I thought that they just didn't have much variety. And I think that that creativity and imagination is something that I was so impressed by with the Argos early in the season, and I wonder if it's going to continue because it certainly showed up in the second half against the Red Blacks, and I've seen it else. Thanks, uh, thanks for doing this. Uh, say hi to our pal Taddy, and uh, good luck in uh, in Alberta. It's always a fun trip. Will do. I appreciate it. I'll be staying out there and camping for a week, so if you don't hear from me, I've been attacked by a bear. Where are you, where are you camping, Banff? Are you going up in the mountains? Yeah, I'm going, uh, I'm going two days in Banff and kind of wandering around and hiking all a bunch of different stuff with a couple of friends that are out there, and then nice. I'll be making my way up to Jasper for two days and then over to Edmonton the day after to call the, uh, the Eskimos games. We're doing the back-to-back out there, so it should be a really nice getaway for the summer. Awesome. Enjoy it. Thanks, Marsh. Thank you, Mike. Marshall Ferguson joining us, the voice of the Ticats on uh, TSN 1150, hosts uh, the uh, Taddy Marsh extravaganza uh, on that program. And uh, for those who don't know, his, his background, he's, he was a quarterback at McMaster, got them to the Vanier Cup. Uh, as, he, was, he won one as a backup and then was there uh, as a starter, and they lost on a last-second blocked field goal. Ouch. Uh, to Montreal. Looked like uh, he was going to win a Vanny as a starter as well. So our thanks to Marsh for joining us. Uh, Natalie Spooner in the house. She's going to join us uh, from the uh, Olympic hockey team next. You're listening to Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Eleven thirty-one, twenty-nine before twelve o'clock. Mike Hogan in today on Toronto Today. We'll get to some British Open calls, some Blue Jays talk coming up as the program continues. Uh, first up, though, uh, we will talk some uh, women's hockey and uh, a new program called it's the second year, I guess, for the Champions Fund. And uh, joining us to uh, in studio, somebody who's very lucky to be here, and I'll explain why. Natalie Spooner is here from the Olympic team. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. With Tessa here now. Your your longtime compatriot Tessa Bonham. We have a one Ohio State Buckeye per building limit, <laughs> so you're really lucky to get in here at this yeah, stage. So now the Bucks are taking over. Yeah, <laughs> the, hopefully the Bucks don't stop here. Exactly. Um, let's start with the Champions Fund. You're you're here. You're promoting this. What is it first and foremost? So it's um, grants of five thousand dollars for individual sports or organizations. Um, that are women and that are promoting women in sports. Mm -hmm. So this year, um, it's pretty exciting. There's going to be 30 grants. Last year, there was 20 grants that changed a lot of individual or, you know, teams' um, lives, really, um, gave them that that extra money to be able to get equipment, um, extra training, or have to travel. So it's pretty exciting now that there's 30 grants. um, And you can apply at womenschampions.ca. It closes September 20th, and then there'll be 30 winners picked um, for the grants, so it's definitely it's a life changer. So if you're, you know, passionate about your sport or um, about helping, if you have an organization that's helping women in sports, then definitely apply. Uh, w- what would you suggest to somebody who's listening right now and they want to want to get uh, want to make sure that they have an inside track at the money? Is there one thing you know that they're looking for when when all of these grants uh, applications come in? Um, I mean, definitely like how you would be supporting women in sports. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that um, Canada's dairy farmers are so passionate about, you know, bringing, a f- bringing to the, front, the forefront um, women in sports. So hopefully, you know, if you think that you're having an impact on keeping these girls um, active or, you know, if you're somehow, you know, just have that passion to, to play women's hockey, say, or women's soccer for the rest of your life, then um, definitely apply. Well, it's all closing gender inequity, right? And, 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 and in so many sports, it sucks, but it's like, okay, we'll do this, and then whatever we have left over is for the girls, the women, whichever level they are. Um, it, you're an elite athlete, obviously, a national representative. 
Have you ever faced that? Whether it's ice time, you know, you're kicked till 2 o'clock in the morning because, you know, the men's B team or some house league team has to play. Like, Have you had to face that often? Yeah, I mean, I think growing up there was definitely some of that. I was pretty lucky that I got to play on an all-girls team and, and you know, feel comfortable where I was and, and playing there. Um, but now, I mean, older, I'm, I'm definitely realizing that there's still inequalities there. And, um, you know, you look at the CWHL versus the NHL, and obviously the CWHL is growing, but mm-hmm. the NHL is, you know, these players are getting paid millions of dollars, and um, we're playing just for the passion of the game and, mm-hmm. and because we love it. How much fun is it, and, and what's your best experience playing in that league? Oh, it, it's a lot of fun. I mean, the girls are great. I think my best experience would be 2014 coming back um, from the Olympics and then winning the Clarkson Cup um, with the Toronto Furies. I mean, Tessa Bonham was on that team, mm-hmm. too. So, um, yeah, I think that would have been the best experience just... I mean, just being so welcomed back in by my team and and going on that run when we were the underdogs. Because fans are more familiar with the club teams on the men's side than they are right now with the women's side, when we see an Olympic event, it's always interesting to see an American play against a Canadian and they might be line mates in the NHL or roommates or best friends or whatever it is. How how does it change for you now that you're you're playing in this league where there are a lot of Americans, a lot of Canadians, you have a lot of American teammates, and, and does it change when you get into the flag matches when you play the Americans? Does it because you're a little more familiar with a lot of the players than if you just didn't know anything about them and you just saw that USA on their chest and you went, oh, we got to go beat these guys, girls. Mm, I mean, I think off the ice, like your friends, but on once you hit the ice, like you kind of forget about that, and and it's definitely a Canada versus U.S. and you don't ever want to lose. Um, to the U.S. is definitely the worst feeling. So I think you kind of forget about that, and you you just your competitiveness comes out, and you just play. You were just a kid when you made the national team, right? You were still in your teens. Um, seventeen, I made 17. the under eighteen team, and then yeah, and then the national team. Yeah. Um, how, I was there in Ottawa when the first Worlds were held back in it was in nineteen ninety eighty nine uh, up there, and mm-hmm. the hockey wasn't very good. Be, being blunt, the hockey now was spectacular. Um, You've been around the national team now for around a decade. What what's changed? Have you seen a big change in 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 caliber of play or just the way that the sport is being accepted? Yeah, I mean, I think even just looking at it in like four year cycles from one Olympics to the yeah. next, the level of hockey is improving so much, and the the skill that the younger players have coming up is amazing. Um, I think it's always pushing us now. Me being older, <laughs> um, to keep yeah, improving. You're ancient. Yeah, <laughs> to keep improving. So, I mean, just the level of hockey is is always getting so much better, and um, I think that there's more girls playing um, growing up, and uh, women's hockey, I think, is just going to keep growing. Natalie Spooner joining us uh, from the uh, the Olympic team and talking about the Champions Fund, among other things. Um, at the Olympics, one of my favorite nights is the inevitable gold medal match between Canada and the U.S. To me, because the NHL guys can go back and play for a Stanley Cup, sometimes playing for the country is secondary. Same level, but they're going to go play for the Cup. For you, the gold medal is everything, Mm -hmm. right? World championships are one thing. That gold medal every four years is something else. And just the intensity between the two teams is special. But we always know it's going to be Canada versus the U.S., do you see the gap being closed because of the development in Finland, Sweden, Russia, China? We can get into that in a bit. Or because you're also getting better, there's still that huge gap between the programs. Yeah, I mean, I think I have seen it close a bit um, since I started playing. Definitely, like, um, Finland has improved a lot. Even, like, Switzerland yeah, um, yeah. is coming up, um, which is pretty crazy for them. So, I mean, it 
the other teams are definitely improving, but we are also improving. So mm. um, it, I think it's closing, but it's not closing as quick as you know people would have thought. Is there uh, fear within the sport that maybe because of that disparity, there's two teams and everybody else that the spot in the Olympics is in peril? Um, I feel like there's been talks of it, but I've yeah. never, I've never been scared because I think, you know, people love the game of hockey and love to watch sure. it, and um, I think, I think there's always competition there, and mm-hmm. and it deserves to be there. Yeah, and there are enough countries playing the sport, and it's 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 incumbent to the umber- other countries to up their game to catch up to uh, to you and the Americans. So I, I would agree 100. Um, percent We were talking just off air a little bit about. China and a team coming over to play in the league. What what is where is hockey in China right now in your eyes? Yeah, I mean, I think that they're definitely pushing um, to develop it. I mean, uh, four years after this Olympics, um, the Olympics are in China, so I think they're putting a lot of money into into their winter athletes, and mm-hmm. I think it's great for women's hockey that we're going to have a team in China um, coming over to play and hopefully help develop a bit of the Chinese um, team leading up to. Those next Olympics, and I hope uh, I hope the men as well go over and play. Um, when when you look at skating in Asia, short track, China dominant, South Korea dominant, Japan great athletes. I would assume that they would be a little bit of he- ahead because it's not like they're starting from scratch. These these kids especially have been skating since they were young, just in a different format. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they're great skaters, and that's that's a good start. Um, I think. If you're a great skater in hockey, then you have a lot more time to make decisions, a lot more time, um, you know, on the ice. So, I mean, at least they got to start and then hopefully develop their their puck skills. That'll all, help. Being all, all of the stuff that you've done, all the success you've had in hockey. Where does Amazing Race Canada fit in? Ooh. Um, Did you have a ton of fun doing that? Yeah, like so much fun. I mean, it's like so different than hockey, really. So it's like hard to put it, like put it somewhere with them, but. Um, yeah, it was pretty crazy. I mean, hockey, you know you're going to wake up and you know you're going to play a hockey game. Amazing Race, we would wake up every morning and have no clue where we were going or what <laughs> we were going to do, and you just have to kind of be prepared for anything. Anybody who watches that thinks, I could do that, and they always go through their mind, who would I do it with to be best? What surprised you the most? Because we all have this image of what it would be like. Mm-hmm. What su- like was there something that surprised you when you finally got to do it yourself? Um, yeah, like sometimes you just... You just want to be so fast that you don't actually like think about your clue or you read it wrong. Um, you know, it makes it look really easy on TV, but it's a lot harder um, when you actually go to do it in the race. What was the uh, toughest thing you did? Ooh, um, sorting fish was pretty tough. We actually didn't even get through that. We had to switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. There was quite a few that were. They were pretty tough. Obviously, skydiving just because I got sick, but I just got oh, thrown I out forgot of the plane. about. I forgot about that. Yeah. It was, and the first time you had done that. Yeah. And how terrified were you? I actually wasn't that terrified. I was pretty excited, but I do get motion sick, so it was actually like the small plane that I got sick before even jumping. <laughs> <laughs> That's just an odd sentence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, once again, you came in here to talk about the Champions Fund, the website, the dates, the stuff like that. Can you, can you give us a skinny on how people can apply for this money? Yeah, so apply at womenchampions.ca. Um, it closes September 20th. Um, and even if you're thinking about applying or you don't really know, I would say apply. It's worth a shot. Um, you know, every girl deserves the opportunity to play a sport. It brought a lot to my life. So hopefully it can bring a lot to their lives now. And when do you head to Calgary? 
August 1st to move out there. The summer is almost over. It is. Like another week about of training. Well, en- enjoy as, as much time off as you can and before you hit the ice. And thank you so much for coming in and doing this. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's Natalie Spooner from the national team. More to come as we continue with Toronto today. Ian Hutchinson on the British Open. And uh, Dirk Hayhurst talking Blue Jays baseball on TSN 1050. Eleven forty-seven. Happy weekend, Mike Hogan. With you, this is Toronto today. Wheels will be back uh, at some point next week. Uh, coming up on the show a little bit later on today, Ian Hutchinson will join us from Golf News Now, and you can find him on Twitter at Golf News Now. And we will always obviously be talking about the British Open uh, as the uh, as the conditions changed dramatically from yesterday. It was pretty windy. A lot of guys uh, really had some problems uh, with the uh, uh, with the bad weather and we'll talk to Hutch about that and some of the guys actually today were stunningly good despite the wind and no rain I don't think um, from what I saw but uh, but the, the the winds were certainly um, evident at times so we'll talk to Hutch about that and just uh, just the his general thoughts on Austin Conley and, and a lot of the things out there Ernie Els had a good round today uh, so we get another one of these plus 40-year-old guys who are out there slugging it along, and uh, who knows if he's going to be in contention on Sunday, but he's, he's staying in the hunt, certainly. And um, maybe the weirdest score out there, because everything was good yesterday and everything was kind of today. Uh, Zach Johnson, a 75 in pristine conditions yesterday and today, when it was crappy, shot a 66. Huh? What? That makes no sense at all. We'll talk to Hutch. We'll get all things golf in. Uh, and Dirk Hayhurst, uh, lots to talk about from a Blue Jays perspective. And and I'll admit it. I'll admit it right now. It's it's a little tiring coming in here every day and talking about essentially the same story, which is what are the Blue Jays going to do because of this season being what it has become. And uh, I know there are those who still think that the Blue Jays have a shot, that they are still somewhat in contention for a wild card spot, that all of the cards may be dealt in the right spot and you can draw to the inside straight and somehow this team can be in a position to challenge for a playoff spot in September. Which I guess is what it's all you want heading into the season. If you're some teams, you're hoping you have a 10-game lead going into September. But for the most part... You're just hoping that you're able to stay healthy, that your best players are your best players, and when September the 1st rolls around, you are either in a playoff position or you're three or four games out, and you don't have 19 teams between you and the the team that you're chasing for the second wildcard spot. Jays don't find themselves in that position right now, although there's still some time to, uh, to, to go before September rolls around. And who knows, if they have a good August, maybe those of you with the rose-colored glasses will be rewarded for your faith. I wouldn't hold my breath. So now, the story until the deadline comes and goes is what are the Blue Jays going to do? Uh, Gord Ash, the former general manager of the Blue Jays, uh, working with the Brewers and sort of uh, uh, one of our insiders here on TSN 1050 as well, uh, he was asked the about the possibility of trading the Red Hot Senior smoke. My my position on it is I think I think most of the players, not all of the players, but you have to be open minded to to most of the players on your club when you're struggling like you are. 
that's not to say that, that he should be traded, but if somebody does call, like you suggest, and, and make you an offer you can't refuse, I think you have to be open to it. Justin Smoke having a great year. There's no question about that. Do you expect him to do it next year? And this is where your scouting staff comes in, and this is where all the analytics come into play. And taking a look at his age and his contract and what he has done this year compared to years gone by, you swirl all of this stuff up, and you see if he is a player that you can count on next year. Now, they've got him for next year, for sure. That is etched in stone. The contract is done. And then there's, I believe, the option at the year after that on smoke. Um, and then the unrestricted free agent after that. So you've got a controllable contract there. But do you expect Justin Smoke to be a 30-home run guy year after year after year? That's something you have to think about. And think about long and hard when you're looking to assess where you are with this baseball team right now. If you think Smoke is capable of doing this for a couple of more years... And if you think you are going to be competitive in the next couple of years, hang on to him. If you think that this is a, an anomaly in his career, that he is not going to have this kind of season next year, and if you see that there's a match out there, a team needs a first baseman, a team needs a DH in the American League, then you certainly entertain options. And if you can get more than what you perceive as market value for Justin Smoke, I don't know if that exists out there, if there's a matchup like that, you may be tempted to pull the trigger. How about Mr. Donaldson? Do you deal him, Gordash? Josh Donaldson, he's been talked about, but at the same time, I don't think uh, you'd be selling low on him right now just because he's not had the kind of season he's had in the past. And and again, I don't think the third base market is as pressing as it might be uh, in the offseason when you could deal with all 30 clubs. And we talked about this yesterday, that there are a lot of potential rental third basemen out there that could help a team that's desperate. Are, Are any of them as good as Donaldson when Donaldson is healthy? No. Donaldson has just played 53 games this year. He has but nine home runs. He's hitting 246. I don't know how much stock you put in. Some people put no stock into that. He's hitting 246. He's been banged up a lot. Even when he's been in the lineup, he's been banged up. How many times did you cringe over the course of the Boston series because it looked like Donaldson had hurt himself? More than a couple of times. He's 31 years old. That comes into play. Um, would you bring more teams into a potential deal for Josh Donaldson if you dealt him in the offseason? I don't know. Maybe. There may be teams, though, that say Donaldson will bounce back next year. We're not in contention this year, but let's make the deal now where, as Ash alluded to, maybe there is low value for Donaldson right now. I think the Jays would be... Very hard-pressed to find a good deal right now for Josh Donaldson simply because of the way he's been banged up and the way he's played when he's been in the lineup. He is not worth nearly as much as he was a year ago. Or if he bounces back down the stretch in August and September, shows you know, flashes or a steady stream of being the Donaldson from days gone by, which is very possible, his trade value goes up. 
and you bring more teams in in the offseason. Uh, once more, here's Ash talking about another deal. And again, you may need Masai Ujiri to come in and pull off a miracle deal with this one. This is Ash on the Tulowitzki contract. I still think there's some better days ahead for Troy. I do think he's been battling some injuries this year. He had slowed down a step or two. Uh, but he's a heady player. He's a guy that uh, uh, knows how to play his position and uh, has a good instinct for the game. So I do think there is some upside, but you're right. I mean, this, this is a mammoth contract. They got some short-term gain on it, but uh, there's going to be some pain here at the end of the, at the end of this deal, uh, unless they can find a partner where you just exchange salaries and just hope you get better performance out of the player right. you obtain. That's Gordash on the morning show today. Uh, when we come back, uh, more to come. We'll talk more Blue Jays baseball with Dirk Hayhurst. Andy and Hutchinson will join us to talk some British Open. You're listening to Toronto today. Hogan in for Wheeler on TSN 1050.